Tonight, as we work our way through um, this text, I want to kind of just give us three words to help structure our time together um, as we're working our way through this verse by verse. And so if you're a note taker, you can write these down. If not, you can uh, just listen, just kind of store these away. The, the first kind of movement is the offer. The second kind of movement in this text is the cost. And the third movement is the reward. So the, the offer the cost and the reward. And so I want us to look in verse 34 and to look at the offer that Jesus has for us in this, in this text. And so starting verse 34, it says, then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple. Up until this point in the book of Mark, if you've been with us, we've been studying through the book of Mark for the past six months. Jesus has these 12 men that have been following him. They're called apostles or disciples. And these are 12 men that he has personally invited to, to live life with him, to be part of his ministry. But these are not the only people that follow Jesus, that see something in Jesus all throughout the book of Mark that if we look closer into the word, we'll notice that, that over and over and over again, the crowds show up and the crowds are made up of people just like you and me, people who had seen Jesus, people who had benefited because of the kindness of Jesus, people who had been healed by the kind and powerful touch of Jesus. They were people who, who saw Jesus. They saw something that was different about Jesus, his character, his heart and his ways. And I love this moment, if you were with us last week, the, the story that precedes this one. Jesus kind of has a significant moment with his apostles. It, he calls them aside away from the crowds and he looks them in the eyes and he says, says guys, who, who do you think I am? Am I just another teacher? Like, am I just another spiritual leader? Am I one among many others? And Peter is one of the 12 apostles, kind of the spokesperson for them. He, he looks Jesus in the eyes and he says, Jesus, you are the, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the, you're the hope of the world. You are the one that has come to, to forgive us of all of our sins, to, to drive out every bit of darkness in our world, to bring justice and healing and forgiveness and peace. You are the one that we've been waiting for. And you can just imagine that the happiness in this moment, the joy in this moment as these 12 apostles, they're standing, they're looking God in the flesh, looking him in the eyes. And you can just imagine this moment Jesus, when, when you are king, when you're reigning over this entire land, when you're reigning over all the people, and when we, the 12 apostles, when, you're, when we're your right-hand men in your kingdom, when we're your dignitaries in your kingdom, it's gonna be awesome. And then last week, Jesus just dropped this bomb on them. Right after they have this moment where they understand who he is, Jesus says in verse 31 of Mark chapter eight, I am the Messiah. And part of my path is that I will suffer and I will be rejected and I will die. And I think in order for us to understand the offer that Jesus puts on the table for the apostles, for the crowds and for us, we have to look at the life that Jesus Christ lived from beginning to end. You know, the offer that Jesus makes, I was so captivated by this word this week, so captivated by this text. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is the invitation. 
that we wouldn't just be people who show up on a Sunday night to hear a sermon and eat some delicious communion bread. The offer is to be a disciple of Jesus. The easiest way that I can kind of unpack this for us, we don't use this language of disciple anywhere outside of the context of church. Does it help us kind of understand what this word would mean? It's this idea of relationship and reflection. That if you want to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, it's someone who is intimately connected to him and relationally. And someone whose life reflects that of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus is someone who walks with Jesus and whose life looks like Jesus's. I'm not gonna speak for everyone here tonight because I can't, one reason, but I won't. I'll speak for myself. Like This idea of, of being a disciple of Jesus, of having relationship with the God of the heavens, and living a life that reflects his, man, that just like stirs something in my heart. I've been a follower of Jesus for 19 years now. And the best part of my life, the best part about me is Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that, that for the past 19 years of my life, nothing has brought me more joy and satisfaction and peace like the relationship I have with Christ. To the moments, the, the hard and the, the painful moments in my life and my past to know that, that God cares about me. When my parents got divorced, the struggles that we just kind of went through in college, my family, to know that he wasn't far off, but that he, that he cared, that he heard my prayers, that he drew near to me and comforted me in the, the deep places in my heart to, to know that the God of the heavens there for me and struggles and confusion to know that I have someone to turn to the joy of walking with God in relationship is unparalleled it's part of being a disciple the other part of being a disciple is living a life that reflects Jesus' life doing the very things that Jesus Christ did. And I go, man, up until the point, to this point in the book of Mark, man, it, it sounds amazing to live a life that reflects Jesus' life. So I want you to think about some of the things that we've seen Jesus do over the past six months in the book of Mark. Healing sick people. People who've been outcasted by society because of their sin and, and Jesus Christ goes to them and puts his hands on them and shows them that, that God the Father's not done with them. Jesus feeding hungry people. Jesus raising people from the dead. And I read that and I go, man, if, if what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we would do the exact same things that Jesus did, those things sound amazing. Like, the joy that comes from feeding and hungry people. This idea that, that God has given us power like to lay hands on sick people and to know that, that God heals people still today. Like, that sounds amazing. But then Jesus brings us to this moment. He brings his apostles to this moment and you just know it was this moment that just turned them upside down. Where Jesus goes, guys, if, if, you, if you really wanna be my disciple, 
If you want to walk in relationship, if you want to live a life of full reflection, then you have to embrace and follow in all of my footsteps. And part of the path that I will go down involves suffering and rejection and dying. The first movement in the text is the offer. The offer is to become a, a disciple of Jesus, knowing him relationally, living a life of reflection. The second kind of movement in this text is the cost. Let's look in verse 34 again. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. One of the things that God was uncovering in my heart this week in my life is that I'm, I'm okay with being on the receiving end of what Jesus has done for me. And this is what I mean, that, that, that Christ died on the cross of Calvary and that his painful death on the cross is what paid for all of my sins. Like, I'm down with that, I realize that, that I'm, I'm down with receiving his, his mercy and his grace and his salvation. I'm, I'm down with, with walking in relationship with God. I'm down with, with my life reflecting his life in a lot of ways. I'm down with being kind. I'm down with being loving. I'm down with being a good listener. I'm down with being a good coworker and a good friend and a good husband and a good father. But this passage in Mark chapter eight, where Jesus comes and he kind of steps on our toes, this, this idea of denying ourselves and carrying our crosses and following him. What I discovered this week is that there's some real resistance here in my heart. What I discovered is that a lot of days I like following Jesus. I like being a disciple of Jesus when it benefits me, when it's a convenience for me. And I want us to hit pause here for a second and to really think about this because this is too important for us to miss. Jesus says what it means to be a disciple is that, that we would deny ourselves. And I go, that's hard. Like, we don't talk about that much. What do you think about when you think about denying yourself? Denying yourself of food or fasting? Denying yourself of pleasure? Denying yourself of entertainment, denying yourself of go on and on and on again. And I was thinking about how, how you and I could leave this place. And we could be people of denial. And we could still not look anything like Christ. And so the real danger in this text is that you and I could go, okay, Jesus is telling us to deny ourselves. And so from now on, I'm not going to eat anymore. 
and I'm going to give away all my food and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give away all my money and I'm never going to have fun and I'm never going to hang out with my friends. I'm never going to hang out with my kids and I'm never going to hang out with my sorority sisters. I'm, I'm never going to do all these things because Jesus says that if I want to be his disciple, I have to deny myself. And I think if that's all we hear, if that's our big takeaway, we, we miss what Jesus has come to do. God is absolutely doing just this powerful work in my heart in verse 35. And I think it's why, why he gives it to us. He speaks it to us because his words without 35 don't make a lot of sense. And so I love what he says, the second part of verse 35. He says, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus isn't about us just leaving here being martyrs who live lives of self-denial. No, he's got something so much better in mind for us. That you and I would be people. That instead of living for ourselves, for our pleasures, for our desires, for our dreams, for our wills, that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we live our lives fully for the man, Jesus Christ, who is not dead, but who is risen. That instead of, of living for number one, instead of always thinking about how things are gonna affect us, what they will cost us, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that he sits on the throne of our lives. He sits on the throne of our hearts that, that we make all of our decisions not based on how they're gonna affect us but how they will affect Christ and his kingdom. And let's just be honest here. This is hard. And very little about this sounds enticing. And I think if, if, if we take Christ out of this picture None of this makes sense. The story of, of Mark chapter eight, this is kind of the mountaintop moment in the story from, from this point forward, everything about Jesus' life is, is headed to Jerusalem, is, is headed to the cross where he'll be hoisted high above the earth, where he'll be nailed to a sinner's cross, where he will die, where his blood will be shed. And if we take Jesus out of the equation, this passage, this text doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything for us, but make us feel condemned. But when Jesus, when we understand what he has done for us, when we understand what he is inviting us into, it changes us. You know, the, the hard part is that so often instead of looking at Jesus, we start to look at ourselves. That instead of waking up and thinking about how we can serve our king, how we can lay down our lives and our pleasures and our joys so that, that King Jesus' kingdom and his gospel can be advanced, too often our problem is that we're so fixed on ourselves. And I think the reason is because we just love ourselves. We are a people who are, are we, we live for ourselves, for our own glory, to make our names great. We are out for number one. 
The other reality is that, that so often we think we know what it means to live a good life. That's why this teaching is so hard, like the thought of, of giving up things for the good of others, for the advancement of the gospel, like doesn't sound fun. And I think Jesus shows up and he speaks this to us. Not because he wants to zap our joy. Because he wants to fill us with the fullness of it. I think he shows up and he tells us this. Because he wants us to live this life the way it was supposed to be lived. And the reality is that Jesus lived this life. And he wants this life for us. And he invites us into this abundant, joyful life. And I think he's showing us in these few verses the, the way that God has intended for us to live. This is not a, this is in no way equivalent. And it's probably not even a good analogy, but maybe it'll kind of help us get our minds around what's going on here. So uh, I've got a little girl. She's two and a half years old. Her name's Finley. And last summer, we got her this little soccer ball. And um, she loves to play. She loves to just run and throw and kick things. And I thought, man, a soccer ball would be a great gift for her. And so I got her this little soccer ball. And so I remember um, it was like this for months. Like we'd go out in the yard and I'd put this little pink soccer ball on the ground and I'd kick it to her. And I kid you not, every single time I'd kick her the ball. And you know what she did? She leaned down, she'd pick the ball up and she'd run away from me. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, Finley, I, my soccer career ended in first grade, but I'm pretty sure this is not how you play soccer. Like, I said, Finley, I said, put the ball back down and kick it to me. And she looked at me, she said, no, daddy. I'm like, Finley, like, this is not soccer. I don't know what we're playing here, but this is not soccer. I said, it, 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 the way you play this game is you put it down and, and you kick it and, and you pass it back and forth. And she looked at me, she said, no, daddy. And every time she'd pick up this little ball and she'd run away from me. And it's just frustrating because in her little mind, she knew how to use the ball. She knew how to play the game. And I wonder if we're like Finley sometimes holding the ball, refusing to kick it. I wonder if too often we're looking at God going, God, I know how to live this life. I know what brings me joy. I've got this. And I wonder if Jesus is looking at us going, Brandon, Amy, Peter, TC, Andrew, if you will only lay your life down, if you'll just put the ball on the ground, there's this passage in the book of Hebrews that says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And I go, what do you mean for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? How in the world was, was that a joyful moment for Jesus? I think the reason there was joy in the heart of Jesus as he endured the cross is because he knew what it would mean for us. He knew what the cross would do for us. He knew that if, if he would lay it all on the line, 
if he would lay down his privileges and his preferences, if he would lay down the fullness of his life unto death, that we could be forever saved. You see, Jesus understood that, that you and I were sinners. And the only way a sinner could be saved is if a savior would come for him. And Christ Jesus revealed his love for us when he did not leave us without hope. Christ came and took our punishment. Christ came to, to reconcile sinners back to a holy and perfect God. And I think the reason there was joy in the cross is because he was thinking about someone besides himself. He was thinking about Brandon and Amy and Lauren and Charlie and Peter and Joe. He was thinking about us. There's joy. There's joy in laying down his life so that we could be saved. This is the third movement in the text. The offer is to become a disciple. The cost is that you and I would, would lay down our lives to live for Jesus Christ. And the reward is this, that we get to participate with Christ in the most joyful work in this world. The reward is that we discover life and purpose. For those of you who are fathers of Jesus, I want you to think about all that you've experienced and seen because you follow Christ. I want you to think about how you have firsthand beheld his forgiveness. I want you to think about how you've experienced his patience, his love. What do you think about how you've experienced his eternal salvation? And I want you for a minute to think about how much joy and life and hope and power and grace and purpose you and I swim in every single day, how much we enjoy because of what Jesus Christ has done and what he's done for us. And that Christ would invite us to spend the entirety of our lives not building up our names or our careers or our bank accounts, not living for our preferences, not spending all of our time thinking about what we're gonna do on our next vacation, not thinking about all this money that we're gonna spend on ourselves, that, that when you and I, when the gospel, when Jesus Christ sits in the center of our hearts, we understand that our lives are about helping people who do not know his grace, who do not know his kindness, who do not know his forgiveness, who don't have the power, who don't have the grace, who don't have the love of God in their hearts, when you and I understand that this is what he's invited us to spend our entire lives ushering people into. Shame on us. Shame on us if we spend the entirety of our lives living for ourselves. I go, man, he's given us this amazing gift of salvation. He's, he's given us this soccer ball and he's kicked it to us. 
And he said, go. Brandon, you gotta lay down your life. And it points at times it's gonna feel like it's hard and painful and the reason is because you're selfish. If you will lay down your life for me, if you'll lay down your life making much of me, Brandon, you'll discover life. You'll discover life. You know, there's something about seeing this that resonates in our souls. There's something about, about seeing this in people. Think about my friends, Ronnie and Steph. Raise your hands if you know Ronnie and Steph. Do any of you guys know them? A couple of you do? One of you? Okay, two of us, me and DJ. Um, uh, Ronnie and Steph are some of the most amazing people in our church. Ronnie is this um, licensed counselor. He has his master's degree in counseling. Steph is one of the most brightest and just brilliant women I've just ever been around. These people just are the kindest, most loving, God-centered people. And I was having supper with them over at Cinco de Mayo, this little Mexican restaurant over in Cummins Station about a month ago. And, and I was talking to them and they were telling me about how they were moving to Haiti. And I was asking them, why are you moving to Haiti? And they just said, Brandon, there are so many orphans. And, and when we've gone on week-long mission trips, they said that, that we are most alive when we are serving and, and caring for orphans. Ronnie said, man, we're, we're moving to Haiti to take care of these people that no one else can take care of. And it's crazy because Ronnie and Steph still have college debt. They're still having to make payments back for the schools that they went to. And they said, man, it's not going to stop us. This is what Christ is calling us into. This is what he's calling us to do, to, to lay down our preferences and our comfort and the lifestyles that we want for the good of other people. And we're going. And so two weeks ago, they left. And I was standing up here at the nine o'clock gathering. I just had my hand on Ronnie's shoulder and I was just weeping as I was thinking about the, the picture of their lives is so compelling. And I want to be more like Ronnie and Steph. Or I think about my friend Dan. Dan's just this amazing man of God in our church. And when he was trying to figure out where he, he wanted to live, where he wanted to rent from, he, he wasn't thinking about what was going to be most convenient for him. He wanted to find a place in our city where there was a real need and where he could really serve real people. And so he was telling me about just a little while ago that the house that is next door to him, there's a drive-by shooting. Dan decided it wasn't worth playing it safe. So he moved into this really dangerous part of town. He's telling me about the way that he started to engage with his neighbors, people who aren't Christians. And I go, man, there's something about seeing it. There's something about seeing people who, who aren't living for themselves, who don't spend all day thinking about their jobs and their work and themselves, but people who go, Jesus Christ, you died for me and so I'll die for you. 
guys. He brings us to this kind of fork in the road in this text. He says in verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And he brings us to this place tonight. And, and he goes, man, well, you have a choice to make, Brandon. That your life is going to go one of two ways. And it's not that, 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 that there's no reconciling, but, but, but your life, that, that it's going to take two different paths and they're going drastically different ways. One is a life where it's all about you. Where every penny that you spend, you're thinking about how you can spend it on yourself. And you're worried and fearful and, and it's all about you. The other life that I'm offering you is one where I sit on the throne of your heart. And I don't know about you, but this life of, of living for me is way easier. But I've been living this life for far too long and it is so unsatisfying. In this life of being a disciple of Jesus. It costs us way more but it is the only way that we'll discover life. The only way. I want to finish up this text in verse 37. It says, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with his holy angels. And so this is just kind of one last thing that I want us to think about. Jesus Christ is real. His death is real. His resurrection is real. And I was reminded as I was reading this text this week that he is actually going to return one day. I love that Will read that earlier. Um, so you're beginning our time of worship that there will be a day where Jesus Christ is going to return and every single one of us will see him face to face whether you believe in him right now or not. There will be a moment where we understand, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is real. And Jesus Christ will return. And I was thinking about how not many of us live as if either of these things are true. Not many of us wake up and we go, God, being your disciple, being in a relationship with you, living a life of full reflection is, is what I want more than anything today. And so here, God, here's my entire life. My day, here's my family, here's my savings, here's my job, here are my dreams, here is my everything about me, God. It is all yours. You have given it to me and I'm giving it back to you, God. I'm giving you my life so that this world will come to know Jesus. So what do we do with this text? You know, we come to this story in a variety of different places in our spiritual journeys. Here in just a minute, Will's gonna get back up and lead us in some more worship and we're gonna go and take communion. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I wanna just invite you as, as Will just kind of plays some music and, and lets us think, I wanna just invite you to ask yourself one question. Are you interested in a relationship with Christ?
Are you interested in a relationship with Christ? If you look at your life as you think about maybe some of the, the things that you do, the way that you spend your time, I want you to think about, like, is it really satisfying? Are you really filled with joy? And maybe Jesus Christ is the, the way to an abundant, joyful life. And here in just a minute, when we stand, there are going to be some of us, some men and women over here at the Red Respond banner to my left, your right. And if you have questions or if you want to talk or if you want to be prayed for, I just, I can't tell you how often, like, there's just something about having people just lay their hands on your shoulders and not a creepy way and just pray for you that has this way of just encouraging your spirit. Like, I, I, I preached this morning over at Hillsborough Village and I felt like I just laid an egg. It was just terrible. One of the worst sermons I've ever preached. And I came here tonight and I just told the guys and the girls back there, hey, I just need you to pray for me. Just like, just pray for me. And they prayed over me. There's something about that. And there's some of you here tonight and you just need someone to put their hands on your shoulders and pray for you and come forward and let us help you. We're in this together. This is not something you're doing in isolation. Let's walk through this as a family. If you're not a follower of Jesus, wrestle with that question. Are you interested in a relationship with Christ if you are a follower of Jesus? I know that we're also in a lot of different places. Some of you are following Christ. Some of you aren't. Some of you want to follow him. Some of you are. And, and I want to invite you to ask yourself this question. Are you living for Jesus Christ and for the gospel? And as we take communion, as we break the bread and drink the cup, I encourage you to talk with the people that you're sitting beside. This might feel uncomfortable for some of you. And if you don't want to talk, just put your head down and close your eyes. That's a good indicator that you don't want to talk. Like, and it's totally okay. I do that sometimes too when I don't want to talk to people. Like, sometimes you just need those moments. But if you want to talk, look at the person beside you and have the courage to answer that question. For some of you, the answer is going to be yes. Your life is completely abandoned to Jesus Christ and his purposes. As you're taking the communion, thank him. Thank him that, that the God of the heavens has done such a miraculous work in your heart that, that you're living for someone beside yourself. For others of you, maybe the answer is no. Maybe you realize that you've just become a Sunday Christian or maybe you realize that, that you're giving God part of your day or maybe you realize that, that you're down with the relationship part but you've not been reflecting him. And whatever it is that, that you discover, man, confess that. He already knows your heart. He already knows what's going on. Lay it before him and then walk out of this place covered in the blood of Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit, living a life of repentance. Does that sound good? This is not a story of condemnation. This is a beautiful story of invitation to live the life that he's called us to live. Let's pray.